0: Hello, my name is Miguel Resendiz. I'm a marketing professional, entrepreneur, and the host of this podcast, Midcast, a program where we discuss how to monetize your talent, ideas, and show examples of people who have successfully done so in the past. In this podcast, we aim to bring the best business and life insights to help you materialize your goals. An open mind will go a long way in this program, so fasten your seatbelts and get ready for the show. Welcome to episode three. Today we have Payman Dari. He has recently completed a master's degree in health sciences at SFU, and he has successfully completed a few other degrees. Tell us about your educational background, a little bit, Payman.
1: And then I have a graduate, um, diploma in commercialization of science and technology. Um, and then I did my bachelor's at SFU as well. So that was a bachelor of sciences.
0: Perfect. So for, the people in here that may not know you, um, would you like to give us a little bit of like uh, background uh, on you, maybe uh, a minute or so where you can kind of describe uh, where you're from and where you're heading? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, thanks so much, Miguel, for having me on your podcast. I'm, I was very flattered and uh, I, I, you have great social skills when it comes to my own immediate group of people. And so it's, it's very, uh, fitting that that you picked up this uh, this podcast and talking to all these people in the, in your big network that I've come to see and that that you're talking to, so that's great. Um, happy to be here. Uh, my own background, uh, I don't know. I've I've had so many different phases, so I feel like to really give someone a good understanding of who I am, I need to talk about three pieces in my background. One is that. I was born and raised in Iran in a pretty traditional family. And so that's that's where I was raised. And the biggest highlight of that experience growing up in that context was that I, I grew up in a very community oriented family so you know at, at any given moment I was surrounded by at least like five cousins and three aunts and two uncles,
2: yeah,
1: and yeah. so uh, that that plays a big role into how I am today so and and I carry that with me so that's one piece of it um, and so then and then after that I, I went to United World Colleges which gave me and just an amazing opportunity to to go to high school in Italy and essentially do an IB diploma grade 11 and 12 mm-hmm. and i was living there for two years day and night with people with other students from 96 other countries i believe that had just come directly onto that campus from their homeland to study all together it was an it was a phenomenal our experience and and it helped shape my personality in, in ways that I had that I had never anticipated. So that was the second piece that that plays a big part into who I am today. And and the third piece is um I'm I'm currently in Canada. I guess I've I've stayed here long enough to kind of consider myself a local in one way or another.
2: Mm.
1: And um, yeah, that I've I've gone to SFU uh, Simon Fraser University. And uh, my aspiration is to become a medical doctor um, and uh, yeah, and and be exceptional at it. And uh, yeah, I guess that's who I am and (laughs) put briefly,
0: yeah. That's that's very interesting. So I think you and I have not a similar story but probably a similar um, kind of like pathway where we were born somewhere else. And then now we are in Canada we're pursuing our careers here or um, at least somewhere where we see more opportunities than where we were originally from. Um, so have you had that that feeling that uh, home is not home anymore? So uh, <laughs> for, because That's you've funny. been you've been out of home for how long? Well I've
1: been out of home for 10 years now almost. Yeah um no, it's it's spot on. Like you, are talking about something that's such a real struggle in, in my own life, and and anybody that's that's coming from a background like this, uh, and uh, you know, it's I, I just I just moved in with my girlfriend a, a few months back, and we did it mostly because COVID was forcing us to either move in together or stay apart and not see each other for many months, and then we just chose to move in. But when I was transitioning uh, into this life of, okay, now stability, not living necessarily with a bunch of roommates that come and go anymore, but living with someone that, something that resembles a family unit, and then you have, uh, you know, other things that that are selling down, for example, you know we eat three square meals a day now and that's not something that had existed in my life when i was living a bachelor living as a bachelor so going through that experience i was um i was very nostalgic and it hit me i was like why am i feeling this way um and it and i just realized that you know what for the past 10 years since i since the day i left the home where my mama was taking care of me all day Um, And until this moment where I've settled down in a more stable structure again, um, this concept of home, at some point, at some point, the concept of home for me was this thing that existed in a distance. And I always tried to stay in touch with it through social media, through calling my family and this and that. And that's been very fluid. And then later on, I started to, you know, especially if you don't go home for a visit for to two to three years, you, you kind of hit a place of existential crisis a little bit, where you feel like I don't have an origin story, but you do. You've just forgotten about it, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, this whole and it's not psychologically healthy. That's I should totally declare that. Um. But then you come to you come to a realization where you sort of like carry yourself above those intuitive feelings about the idea of home and you come to a realization that okay you know what as long as I see a a sense of purpose and stability within me and that's the sense of home that I carry within myself um, and that's that's really what keeps me going and is the antidote to all of this kind of chaos that's in a way running in the background and it has an emotional aspect and it has a mental aspect to it but for you to really like stay grounded um, yeah I think for me having a sense of like purpose to just know why am I doing this and, and why is it important to me and just having that conviction and having that intentionality in it Allows me to then not see me as a victim of this situation. That is what actually makes people feel bad. It, it allows me to feel in control of it and someone who's chosen to live this life. And then it becomes an exploration and you're out in the wild and you're in an adventure and you're coming across all these amazing people and opportunities and, and you grow with that, right? So um, that's been my thinking about it.
0: Yeah. So for me, like I feel, I feel the same as you. I mean, I left home, and never had a similar home ever since, or, or a similar feeling of home ever since. And you know, it almost makes me feel like an alien in my own family too, because yeah, I, I don't feel like I'm part of it. I feel like I'm a satellite of it, you know, like a moon kind of. And mm. and I'm like, yes, they recognize me, but I feel like I'm always in the. in in the out in the outskirt of it like just floating around it and then whenever it seems necessary I come in but uh, I don't spend Christmas with uh, with them which in in my yeah in my hometown or in Mexico it is a very family tradition to spend Christmas and a lot of Mexican people here go back to Christmas and that's kind of like the most important uh, thing right they, yeah. they need to go back for Christmas mm. and I never really had that uh, and obviously we will know that as international students we uh, we are all constrained by money and stuff like that and and that's something that uh, sometimes doesn't seem as glamorous right and people don't really tell you about it but that's, mm. that's the reality especially for you in Iran man I mean I live just a country away from here but, <laughs> <laughs> but or, or I am from just a country away but you are from I don't know how many countries and a whole <laughs> ocean. <laughs>
1: That's right. Actually, Iran is literally on the opposite side of the planet from Vancouver. Really? And the reason why I know that is because time difference is exactly, well, 11 and a half hours. So a little bit off by being exactly on the opposite side. And it's insane because um, and you're you touching on such an important point here, Miguel, because, you know, even when you're going home, you don't always feel like you're at home. You feel like a guest sometimes. You've uh, missed out on a lot of the inside jokes. You've missed out on a lot of the new ways that people might talk now. You've missed out on a lot of the funny holiday memories that have happened over the past whatever month that you're just not in it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. And it's one of those things, that I struggle with, like, you know, especially in my teenage years uh, where, you know, you go home, you feel like you don't fully belong there. You come here, you feel like you don't fully belong here. And then you kind of are lost a little bit. And I found I found a lot of peace uh, as a re- as a form of resolution to that in finding like concrete friendships and home-like feelings in other people that were in a similar situation and that's why I feel like people like you and I can connect on a different level is because we are experiencing a lot of the similar struggles and then we can relate to each other's experience around that even though we come from such different countries with different cultures different language but you and I can probably connect to each other better than I could connect to a a lot of people that are still living their life in Iran from the same origin of culture as as myself, right? That
0: so so is, is, is Iran considered a third world country? <laughs> it it
1: certainly wasn't, but I think now more and more it's resembling a third world country. It's definitely transitioning into that. And the only thing that's keeping the country afloat from um, falling into the clear third world category is, 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 is its oil income. Um, and uh, you know another experience around this um, that actually pertains to the whole idea of home as well is that you know, like Iran has been under so much international pressure and sanctions over the years that just the 10 years that I've left, lived, uh, left the country, have resulted into like such drastic changes in there. Um, You know, like people's actual real incomes have dropped dramatically. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I talk about these things for somebody as an outsider to look at this, it probably doesn't hit them in a real sense what that means. Because a lot they're thinking as these like other people who used to make, for example, money and afford their life and now they can't do it and it's sad. So that just means there are more people out, more I don't know, poor people out there. But for me, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about my cousin, my father, my aunt, my uncle. These are people that I grew up with and they gave me love and I gave them love. And um, so it's a, I, I feel that in a very real sense. And it's one of the things that makes me the most sad, I guess, about the whole dynamic around Iran and its sanctions and how the international community is handling that and uh it was definitely something that fueled my my own um energy in working uh, and and towards starting and building lumen wire as well which is something that, that you mentioned we want to talk about today um and so you know as because of that you know even when i go home I, for the most time that i've been out I've, I've usually tried to go home for a visit once a year
2: hmm.
1: um but you know a lot of times like i go home and i It just makes me depressed sometimes. I'm like, I've come here, but I see people are not doing well. Um, you know, like kids that I grew up with, um, they're struggling with this, they're struggling with that, and they they complain to me about all these things. And yeah, it. So you know, you're here and you're missing home, and then you go there, you're like, oh man, this is depressing. I I just want to go back to Canada again. Um, and this is and and you know, I should make it clear too. You know, this is my personal experience. Um. I, you know, there are a lot of uh, people in the Persian community here in Canada who come from like more affluent backgrounds, and this is not necessarily the case for them. So when they go home, they have, you know, more, more ways to have fun and things like that. So I just want to make sure I make that clear too, that that it's more of a personal aspect of my relationship with home.
0: Yeah. And I mean, one, I think one of the things that, that also hits you the hardest is that so you're, you're used to a reality in Canada, right? You're used to Vancouver and you're used to kind of already earning like someone from Vancouver, living like someone from Vancouver. And then there is, all, there is always for us, the, the slight threat of having to go back home for a long time to, to just live there, right? And to, yeah. and, to, and to come out on top of that. And I was, I was looking at a meme earlier where they say that they divide the, the world by continents. And they say, if, if being a human was a game, uh, Africa will be like, like hero level, like super hard, the hardest it can get. And, and then the Middle East and certain parts of the Middle East and Southeast Asia and, and Latin America will be like hard, like legendary. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll have like East Europe as um uh, as like moderate and then you'll have like the whole first world country selection like you know uh, Western Europe and and North America as easy and then there is a guy that says well if you're born in the legendary territory you can you can uh, upgrade uh, to the to the easy territory by by purchasing an immigration card or something like that and <laughs> and and then, the thing is, when you go from hard to easy, it is it is it feels good. But when you go mm-hmm. from easy to hard, it feels like holy moly. Uh, and and definitely, that's a feel that I I have on my own. You know, like I'm like, man, if I have to go back to Mexico, if I'm forced to go back to Mexico, like, I, I'm, can I survive? Like, <laughs> that's the first question I ask myself. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know,
1: it's uh, it's part of the part of the experience of being an immigrant. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of challenges in your way. And now, you know, we, we should give this to Canada. You know, Canada is one of the countries that has the most fair and more equitable and more skill-based immigration processes where they're trying to be humane and mindful to people. But this experience, honestly, man, is so psychologically challenging right like even though canada has taken all these steps to make it straightforward and fair and equitable it's still they can't do they can't do anything about these kind of fears and psychological ways of thinking that we have around uh, you know the fear of failure and things like that and i have you know how you're right i've I've totally faced this in, in numerous occasions um and you know, sometimes when I was going to school, for example, especially in my undergrad, um, because in my undergraduate also I was um, I was on a scholarship that required me to required me to maintain a CGPA of three point five, and um, as I was going to these classes, as I was coming home, as I was studying, I really felt like I was fighting for my life. Like this wasn't about school. This wasn't about learning. This was about fighting for your life, because I knew that if I didn't do well on this test, and if I drop below that specific expectation of CGPA 3.5, I'm done. Like, I'm going to have to stop my degree halfway through because I'm not going to be able to afford it anymore. I'm going to not be able to keep my immigration status here because I'm out of school. So I'm heading back home. And back home doesn't recognize whatever one year, two year of courses that I've done here. That means going back and going to university. And to get into university, you have to go and take a bunch of like courses in a high school level, which I hadn't originally even taken to be able to write that admission test to get into So that would like set you back already by like five, six years. And you are already going back and fighting in an economy where you don't really see a future for yourself and your chances of success are so slim. And this kind of thing, even though the chance of that happening well, isn't too high, but the consequences are so dire that they just, it just keeps you busy, right? And I feel like these are the realities of being an immigrant, especially if someone is trying to build everything by themselves from ground up, that it just doesn't naturally appear to other people, right? Like for someone who's born and raised here, even for people who have parents that were immigrants in this country. They think, okay, yeah, they've they've made a lot of sacrifices. They've gone through a lot to be here for me. But do they really, truly understand their experience of going through that on a day-to-day basis, right? Yeah, can be very difficult for
0: sure. Yeah, so like a lot of my some a lot of my friends back back home uh, often say, oh, you're really lucky and like uh, everything is going right for you. But then, but then you're like, am I? You know, like, <laughs> am I? Because uh, I know that they're struggling the wrong way, and obviously, it is um, uh, it is harder for them to get to the same places where I am at the moment. So, for example, um, you you've been to the restaurant I do I do my part time at, right? That's right. So, in that in that restaurant, I usually work two to three days a week. So, not a long, not not in short uh, shift. So, mm. basically let's say 15 hours every week. So it's very little. And I make what a full-time Mexican worker with a, with a master's degree will make a month. Uh-huh. So like the comparison is me as a part-time a master's degree with like a full-time job this is what mm-hmm. I, obviously their purchasing power is much higher there. That's so, right. so that's, that's the importance of knowing economics. Because a lot of the people in there say, well, you earn so much. And I'm like, yeah, but you spend so much more here, man. Like mm-hmm. a meal here outside cost me what your entire week of food will cost you in there. So, so like it, it is really difficult to compare, but obviously um, when you live in Canada, your life, your quality of life is just a bit higher because the taxes are, are used properly and there mm-hmm. is less tyrannical governments. Uh, there are less um, gangs in,
2: hmm.
0: than in most parts of the world even in the US there are a lot of gangs and there are a lot of uh, street uh, violence that, that we have witnessed In uh, thanks to the internet um, when I lived in Germany I honestly felt that Germany had a really nice quality of life um, maybe even higher than, than Canada really uh, well the thing with Germany is look man like that's where the unions and all these uh, communist uh, movements came out, right? And mm-hmm. they really work hard for a uh, work-life balance, and and they have been doing so throughout these years for like 200 years. And mm-hmm. right now they have 35 uh, work weeks, 35-hour work work weeks, which is mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, and the thing that I really that I really liked about Germany is that it, it emerges this first world kind of industries and like salaries, but it also has this kind of traditional feel that we probably have in our countries where you, you, can, you can still see people have the local businesses in the streets and it is common. Whereas mm-hmm. in Canada, the, 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 the only commerce that's in the street is probably in downtown and it is pizza, pizza places or something like that, or hot dogs. Or something that's very commercial and and aim at fast food, but in there you'll have like small stores uh, run by uh, run by a Turkish family, which is where I used to buy my groceries, and and then it's cheap, and they usually give you like uh, advice what, what you need, what you should buy. They give you a recipe coming mm. from turkey so you're like well like this is this is kind of what i had in mexico right and that mm. makes me belong a little bit more to the community because even though i'm not german and i'm not turkish mm. i'm still kind of familiar with that feel of like oh i'm just gonna go for a walk i'm gonna buy some groceries at this local store and the local store is the same size of my of my basement right it's not big but it is it it is enough for you for them to store some food they have halal chicken they have all of that stuff and then they tell you about it so then you don't have to go to walmart right i don't even there is no walmart in germany to begin with
1: (laughs) you know what it is though a lot of times i like to make the uh, comparison of europe versus north america a lot of times is like the comparison of a fruit that has ripened while taking its natural normal course which is europe versus north america that has just been it's an engineered society that's very brand new and people have forced it to get mature so quickly and because of that a lot of the cultural depth in it is missing a lot of that, right
0: yeah you can see it as well as in i mean especially in north america you can see it in how easy It is for people to, to be angry and not engage in a conversation with you, even though you have different values. Mm -hmm. Like in in Europe, it was common that that you will have someone that was far left and far right working in the same place, eating lunch, discussing their politics, and yeah, you can see they don't agree. But man, like I I never saw like actual outrage like I see it here, and Mm. and there was, for example, I live. Um, in, a, in a place called Passing, uh, which is some sort of, it's like the, the west of Munich. And there was a communist party. So they have the Chinese communist party, kind of like a Chinese style communist party there. Uh, but it was run by Germans. And then they have another mar- more Marxist communist party in the other side of the city.
2: Hmm. And then
0: sometimes this other, this, this the, the Marxist communist party will come to to my place or to the to the place where I live and start trashing these guys' <laughs> like stuff, right? <laughs> but then, as soon as they as soon as the people met, then they will start discussing about it and they will have like a little forum in one of the little pla- uh, plazas there, which mm-hmm. um, is, they are quite quite common. And then you will see like a debate, mm-hmm. and it is like a completely. It was a lot of the times very um, intimate, but at the same time open to the public because it was in the street and it was, and it was completely uh, disorganized. Like they wouldn't have microphones or anything. It was Mm -hmm. spontaneous. And, and then I was like, well, that's so interesting because they, these guys kind of hate their guts and they trash each other. Mm -hmm. and they have like propaganda against each other (laughs) but at the same time they're able to discuss and they don't fight right i mean you never saw someone bloody the only time i saw people getting bloody is when Mm -hmm. someone drops someone else's beer which apparently is like a (laughs) sacred uh liquid in germany right (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah and i feel like well the the
1: last the latest u.s election this year has uh has exposed us to you know a little bit of ugliness uh in 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 the politics of of north america and i don't know man like just the fact that donald trump managed to get elected in a country so big and so diverse as the u.s which we which i originally personally had a lot of ideas about how it evolved that nation's thinking was that nation's way of life and economy and everything was set up uh, all of that was really challenged by the virtue of Donald Trump getting elected and coming into power. And I mean, it's, it's really not a good look on this nation in, the, in an international arena either. But all of that being said, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that we should be undermining his voice and reason and opinion either because he, he, he did get elected. In a, in the in the in an entirely democratic way that any president gets elected. That means that there are enough people in that country that have those concerns and do want the country to run that way. So, you know, on 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 the left wing, a lot of times as well, you know, just not being respectful enough of what Donald Trump rep- represented wasn't very, uh, you know, democratic or civil of themselves either, right? And so. Um, I think because of that, like both the right wing and the left wing expose a little bit of uh, their ugly side, and to me, especially looking to the American politics from an outsider, and yeah, especially when you put it in in, in the context and contrast of all this uh, conversation that's happening in in Germany and other parts of Europe, yeah, it's a it's a big contrast.
2: So. Sure.
0: I I take it that you value uh, freedom of speech quite uh, quite a lot since obviously we all know in Iran there's a big freedom of speech and freedom of belief uh, issue right I mean uh, there I, I don't know exactly I never lived in Iran but I can just hear what the media says but you're from Iran your family there so you probably know better um, would you would that experience with freedom of speech in Iran um motivate you to respect other speeches in the West more uh, than people that have born with this privilege already? And some people may think that for everybody to get a platform or to get to say what they think may be a dangerous thing.
1: Um, Yeah, no, you're definitely right. It's a a big concern around freedom of speech and, and, and expression. And uh, it's something that's missing big time. And people are discriminated based on all kinds of grounds. Um, And, you know, there's a systematic institutional way of discriminating against people. Like that's one level worse than individual discrimination. Because, you know, for example, in the US and in Canada, like generally there aren't discriminatory laws. The discrimination and racism is still very much real in the West as well. Um, but at least the laws explicitly don't do it. But like the Iranian current regime hasn't even taken the step to disguise that discrimination underneath layers and layers and layers of laws. So, um, and you've got a large population of like Iranian diaspora here in Canada that come from minority faith groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that they are overrepresented here because life for them back where 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 their home is really um, wasn't good enough and you know to be honest with you it takes a lot for you to drive somebody out of their home you know mm-hmm. what I mean like uh, you, you look at you know all these waves of immigration from Iran and all these other countries that are struggling with human rights issues for them they really really could not have had their life there for them to abandon all their family, all their friends, all their known way of life to get up and say and come here. Um, so f- for myself, yes, yes, I've, I've, I think I've seen, I've seen firsthand how it can, what can go wrong when you don't listen to people and when you don't allow people to have freedom of expression, and ultimately it's something that hurts its own society, whatever society practices. Uh, violation of any of these freedoms of expression is hurting itself by the virtue of taking a very narrow-minded approach towards life and growth, and it ultimately will will lack lag behind and it will you know trump, it will fall fall down eventually, and then in its place you hope that something better grows. It's a natural cycle of civilization that that has happened a lot of times, and that's one of the argument that I've I've heard. <laughs> about the united states recently as well a lot of people are claiming say oh united states went through its peak of civilization and good times brought about weak people and then the weak people are now doing you know bad things and then it's going to bring down the civilization and china is the one that's coming up next um so these cycles i feel like are natural and it's something that's happened to a lot of civilizations around the world but i personally yes um respected more and it's a lot more of a personal issue to me than it than it would be to an average person probably yeah but also Miguel to be honest with you there is an opposite end of this problem as well that I think exists in countries like some of the Nordic countries and France continues to struggle with this as well I feel like if you sometimes push freedom of expression too far to the place of having no regulation over hate speech Mm-hmm. then it becomes it becomes a problem as well yeah so but it's the opposite end of the
0: spectrum so the thing um the thing right now that's happening in france with uh the the cartoon that they that they were trying to defend um so that's a that's a hot topic obviously and like mm-hmm. um i definitely think that everybody should respect everybody's religion and and that's it right ah. i mean we shouldn't really cross those boundaries um, and I can see your point on the in the opposite end, and like there must be some sort of regulation towards, um, uh, yeah, just like pretend, uh, prevent hate speech from spreading. And I think in Canada they have um, kind of like a loose meaning for what hate speech is. It's just something that will uh, that will promote basically hate and uh, active action of basically harm towards an, a minority group or, an, or a specific group of people. Mm-hmm. And that obviously is a that is a difficult thing to to process because then someone may say, well, I didn't really incentivize anybody to do anything. Everybody's responsible for their actions, and mm-hmm. uh, and then like if if someone gets really smart, then they can they can spew a message that's not directly incentivizing people to do something, but it, it will eventually lead to people to uh, to to damage that those communities. So I I agree, and it, and it's a very blurred line, but I think the, the important thing is to, to see whether that, having that blurred line is more valuable than having a strict line uh, that, will, that will just make a hard, uh, a hard box for what speech should be. And then mm-hmm. you can never get out of those boundaries.
1: Yeah, and at different points in time, there are different people that are targeted in these hate speeches. Well, you know,
2: mm-hmm. in
1: the time of living, in the time of post 9-11 in North America, Muslims are the primary target of the hate speech right before that it was a different group you know before that it was a different group you know post corona it's it, people of Chinese background that are also being targeted now and yeah. our societies always find a way to target these people in ways and and yeah they, it can sometimes be really subjective and hard to tell what what qualifies as hate speech and what doesn't but I think as as for as long as like the right intentions are in place for the law enforcement and the judicial system of a the country, they can, they can catch it. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, by no means I, am I a religious person? Um, but I am a big fan of respect and a mutual understanding and, and actually uh, not only tolerance, but celebration of each other's differences and, and learning about them. Um, and yeah, I think, france has taken it too far in my personal opinion in with regards to hate speech whether it's around that cartoon or even just by the virtue of banning people from wearing um, a religiously representative uh, garments and clothes um, in 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 government workplaces i think that's that's what it is that they're imposing now
0: then you think that's Uh, constraining of speech in a way? I mean, that's not taking freedom of speech too far. It's more like uh, constraining uh, your your speech or your expression. Just, I mean, constraining. I think
1: think it's very hypocritical of them to do that. I think it's hypocritical to say that we respect people uh, and their freedom of expression. So, you know, publishing these offensive cartoons that are offensive to a large group of people is fine. But then on the other hand, we don't respect freedom of expression when it comes to wearing religiously representative garments in certain spaces, right?
2: Mm-hmm. I think
1: even at some point they had restrictions around wearing clothes on certain beaches, and then women of Muslim backgrounds had, you know, were not able to go and use those facilities anymore. It's yeah, it's 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 hypocritical. That's that's what I think it is.
2: Yeah, I
0: think so. Uh, I think that part is a bit, um, yeah, not great, for um, yeah for. F- freedom of speech because it becomes or freedom of expression because it just becomes like yeah we get to we get to get it all of it but then some people may not get all the advantage of it And and that part is a little bit infuriating so coming back to like democratizing um to democratizing basically the services that people need you really took a step uh forward and took it took it upon yourself to to develop this system called LumenWire that will have helped um, the people in, in the Iranian community in Canada to to hopefully access their money back from back home more well easier and also um, maybe people from other other countries as well right so tell us a little bit what motivated you to go for that and. And did you feel you had the competencies to, to get it done at the beginning? Or how do you get how do you go about it? Sure.
1: You know, for me, I it's a, it's a very sensitive issue. Um so let me let me give you the backstory on this. So I mean, I I I, I was born and raised in Iran, and I, I, I was raised in a community with a lot of love with a lot of good teaching good principles it it taught me discipline and compassion and and respect and mutual understanding and then i go to italy i'm 16 years old i know nothing about international politics anything like that and the day that i reached there all of a sudden on my first day at the airport the moment i go and present to them my passport when i arrived to italy Mm-hmm. they call the police the first thing they do is they call the police i'm like what's going on what's happening and she's like yeah sorry I, anytime i see someone with an iranian passport here i need to call the carabinieri to come and take a look at this and they have to interrogate says, like, where are you coming from where are you going and mm-hmm. and things like that and that was the biggest shock to me i'm like i have i haven't done anything wrong to you people i have just come here For the purposes of education which is being fully funded by your own government actually for me to be here and study and i'm very grateful for it but is this how i should feel welcomed in a place like this right and so that obviously doesn't make a good first impression on anybody now for me i it took me a while to wrap my head around things like this but they continue to repeat themselves right even when I was in my own high school where people were handpicked for having a sense of understanding and um, mutual respect. And I was still getting, you know, I was still getting a sense of people implying that, oh, so what's it like to come from a place where it's full of terrorists? What's it like to come from a place of extremism? And some of it was ill intent, most of it was not. It came from a place of misinformation, came from a place of having been exposed to too much propaganda in the media. And it took me by shock. So I I wanted to do something about it because I felt like at that point as the only Persian kid in that school in front of so many international students, I had a duty and my duty was to show them the reality of whatever this country is, not good, not bad for its flaws and for its strength, right? So I organized a project over this summer, uh, that, I, that we had just graduated. And I actually brought, uh, three of my classmates to Iran with me. There was a girl who was from really? Slovenia. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was a friend of mine from China and another friend of mine from Zambia in Africa. And, uh, yeah, we, I pitched the whole, plan that i had and there were actually quite a few people that were interested these three guys came along with me and we went and spent an entire month in iran miguel we traveled the northern parts of iran we traveled central southern part and my main goal was there to give these people an immersion into what it's like to live life like an iranian kid here
0: now how safe is it to travel uh, across iran of let's say in a car It's it's pretty safe, man. Like, um, and that's part of the thing that it
1: didn't quite resonate with me, because I had had a very normal life growing up, Mm -hmm. and then to just go to these places and, you know, for example, being asked questions like this, Mm -hmm. that like, how safe is it to do it, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's okay. So there are like, if you are like, I don't know, five girls, and you're going on a trip like this, and none of you knows the language none of you knows the culture and you're traveling at night on an open road in the middle of a desert probably not the safest right mm-hmm. but um beyond that if it's just a mixed group of people you've got somebody with experience on the road somebody who understands the culture language you get around and you don't run into too many issues right and so uh, that's what we did. We, we went and uh, we traveled, but we, I showed them about the civilization that the Persian kingdom used to represent. And I, I took them to live with my aunts in a city. Mm-hmm. I took them to live with my uncles in a different city. We went to the farms, we went to the beach and I never got them a hotel room to stay because I wanted oh. to live within the, like a Persian family. And, uh, you know, by the end of it all, everybody was crying on the day that they had to leave. You really? Know? They, had, they had formed those real bonds, real connections. And, you know, Evan, especially for the girl who joined us from Europe, you know, mm-hmm. she probably came from a place where growing up in the media, all she saw was that women are being forced to wear burqa and cover their face and cover this and cover that. But she had found her place of balance, for example, with the concept of hijab and understood it for what it was and what it represented in that culture, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I'm not a fan of anything mandatory or compulsory, but anyways, it it's something that existed there and she understood the cultural connotation for it, right? And that's kind of, that's really, really the point I was trying to make there. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so skip through that. I come to Canada, I see the same problem exists. And it really hits me in the most practical sense here when I... You know, I come come to a place where, okay, I'm finally able to make some money here. I see that, you know, my grandmother, my family is struggling with uh, their finances a little bit. I want to send them some money to help them out. It's my money going to my parents without any issues in it. And there's not a single bank or financial institution that can help me do that. And it, it's, it's, it was bad and it makes you feel like, you know, Something's wrong with you or something's wrong with your country or background or culture. But when I actually looked into the, well, Metni and I, we, when we actually looked into the legal aspects of this, there was not a single thing that stopping us from actually doing this. It's this just that a lot of the banks had chosen not to work with this community because all they're concerned about is their risk portfolio. That's, that's all the banks are. You know, they want to make the most amount of money while taking the least amount of risk. Mm -hmm. And for them, the income didn't justify the risk that it was working with these communities, especially Mm -hmm. because they have very strong connections with the United States. That's the main country imposing majority of whatever sanctions that already exist in there. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to financial dealings, Um, I was not any bit, um, I, I didn't have the competencies. To, to do anything about this um, but I decided to take it on nevertheless for a few reasons I decided to do something about this one because it was a very real and personal problem to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: two I didn't see anybody else doing anything systematic to change this
2: mm-hmm.
1: and three is I had the backing of SFU um, and that was that was a very very good support that actually changed my perspective around our chances of success. And they were phenomenal in, in providing us with a lot of mentorship, um, just getting connections and putting us to sit down in front of the right people and also giving me that entrepreneurial education to teach me how to be resourceful, right? Like mm-hmm. how, when you don't know something, what do you do about it sort of thing? Um, yeah, so then we, we took it on and we started the company. And really, ultimately, it's it's been the case with whatever I do in my life, and it, it, there was no different from with Lumen. I, I wanted to help some people have a better life. At the end of the day, that's for the same reason that I'm that I'm doing medical school. You know, I, it's it's been a personal pain point to me. And anything that I do in my life, especially in my career, it's something that has hurt me at some point in my life personally, and I've decided to do something about it because I know I'm not alone in this. And there are other people that are struggling with it too. And so that was the real intention
0: of this. Sorry, I'm just going to have to plug in my... my... Yeah, no problem. Is it, The background with the Christmas tree is a lot better. <laughs> 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 yes, I should do that. We put a really big Christmas tree up last night, actually. Okay. Yeah, no worries, man. So I am like, uh, I'm actually very impressed and surprised with uh, with what LumenWire was. And I mean, up and joining LumenWire, I realized uh, how good of a company it was. And honestly, um, I I always thought it was a unicorn company. You know, US had already done all the work and and figure out the problem. I mean, the problem solving for in, in that company, what you guys, what you and Mehdi did at the beginning was like a, a, a mastery of, you know, problem solving because it wasn't like you were, you guys were lawyers or anything. You guys just figure out the problems, did it, got the up the, the backing from the university, um, figure out how to get, how to validate your product. You create a minimum viable product and, and you realize that there was a market. So now I was explaining to Rio, my roomie, uh, why Lumen Wire has struggled so much to gain, uh, to, to cross the chasm, you know, uh, to cross this little gap between the early minority and the early majority. And, and then the reason why I think it has been like this is um, I, I give the Iranian community in Canada, like the, the analogy of a human without thumbs. You know, they can still do everything and they have the same cognitive functions, but they don't have thumbs. They they, they probably don't, don't have this ability to do everything a normal human can do because these financial services are not available to them. So mm. they can still screw things with two fingers, but like not with a thumb. So I, I think this analogy, I hope this works. And then, yeah, no, <laughs> a good, a smart one. And, there, and there have been, there have been companies that have been trying to build thumbs for the... For the Iranian community, right?
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: every time the Iranian community trusts them in the past, uh, there was something shady happening with the thumbs. Like you didn't get the entire thumb, or your thumb will break, or your thumb will never arrive, or they will do something shady with the money you pay for the th- for the thumb, or, or the th- thumb tries to choke you, <laughs> <laughs> or, or or something weird, right? Yeah. So something shady that you didn't that some weird consequence happened. And then you guys arrive and obviously you guys are young people and you have a web app and then w- when when you guys promise this i mean you obviously your intent is is very honest and very humble uh but at this at this point so there has been so much tragedy in this area of building thumbs for the community that even though your thumbs are the greatest the fastest the nicest the most like the, mo- the most likely to actually help the community um, the community doesn't, re- doesn't trust you anymore or doesn't trust any new entrant. So the barrier to entry, even though the competition is complete crap, the barrier to entry is so high because there's this fear from the community to, to be cheated on their, their high-value money. Because as you said, when, when, a, when a grandson wants to help his grandma with money, well, he only has $1,000 and he doesn't wanna waste $1,000. He doesn't wanna be like, hmm, maybe let's try these guys. I'm gonna trust them with all the income I have for my grandma to, to get better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my, that, that's one of the challenges I faced a lot when I was working with you guys in that area because I, fe- I, I couldn't understand how to, how to help the company be most, more trust, uh, trusted by the community. And Mm -hmm. I think you probably can develop a bit more on that since you are one of the founders.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. So just to give a quick, quick snippet of also how, how things there now. So we started Lumen Wire. Uh, We we were interested to put it out and see as a minimum viable product, how many uh, customers we have is, is there an interest very quickly? We got um, about five, $5 million, $6 million, I think in the six months that, that, that came through the system. Um, And there were a lot of, we had over a thousand customers that, that we were working with at a time. Um, But the issue was that with these financial markets, even though the total amount of money transferred is, is considerable, your cuts and the amount of money you make on that is, is really small, especially for a company like us that our whole premise was to make something good service available to vulnerable population, essentially for minimum, for minimum price. Um, yeah. So to, for the, for our company to get to the place it needs to be that, that that number needs to go up uh, so that it could be sustainable, right? Self-sustaining and operating to the level that it was. Now something smart that we are able to do right off the bat with this new company is that, we created it such that it would have almost no fixed costs, right? So, and when you don't have any fixed costs, that means that not at any point in time, you have to close down your business because it's not making enough money, right? Like if you have no fixed costs, no problem right like because at any point in time the company is covering its own expenses so now it just becomes a matter of and that gives you a really long uh leap way to actually take off right because then you're not bound by the oh my god i only have six months worth of money to to keep covering the expenses of the company so in that six months i need to take off the whole thing so we had more time and that was essential in, in keeping the company around because as you mentioned trust is a big issue in this community and people's money is harder. Um, the mentality of a lot of people when it comes around to like money transfer in this area is that they think that because the banks don't do it, it means that it's not fully in the legal realm of it, right? That's, that's like an average person that's just seeing some things on the surface. And then they feel like, so if there is somebody doing it I need to be super sure that they're just not going to take my money and run away. And then at that point they take it upon themselves to establish trust like in the more in the most evidence way possible. Like they're not going to take a leap of faith because they think anything of it is a risk, right? So a lot of times they rather come shake your hands, look at you, see you, see your physical store, and then make that transfer. Uh, whereas we're trying to offer a fully online solution to improve accessibility and availability to, to this to these people. Um, it's like the Persian community here turned out to be quite a bit of a mystery to me. Um, because none of the none of the marketing principles we learned at school or anything that I had learned from our mentors really seemed to work on them, um, and I always wondered why, right? Like, and to this day, to be honest with you, I haven't found out the root cause why that's the case. Because, you know, like yes, trust is an issue, and ultimately we want to establish trust, but there are there are principles out there in marketing to do that. There are principles to do it in in-person businesses, there are principles to do it in an online marketing setting. And a lot of it comes down to user interface and user experience, making sure it's like, like it's not glitchy and we're working on that, you know, like, well, actually not me anymore, but Lumen is working on that and, and the company is continuously improving that whole customer journey. right? Um, so, you know over time we're just gonna have to see if that that pays off or not but um you know for us the biggest the biggest uh boost that we got in our marketing at one point was uh when one of the persian student clubs at, at university of british columbia put out um an an, an announcement of launch for us actually and um uh, that's where we got a lot of a lot of visitors coming in. Uh, I think about like that ad reached about 5,000 people and the conversion rate on it was pretty substantial. Um, Yeah I don't know Miguel to be honest with you you know what like they people are highly sensitive here in this area that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is there's competition from actual dirty money here you know what I mean like Because there are quite a few shady underground businesses around that are, I don't know how much depth you want me to go into, but there are shady operations around that can offer certain people better exchange rates than a legitimate business would be because they're engaged in the business of
0: laundering money right maybe maybe explain it uh, a little bit and honestly it is it is crazy man like when i was you know
1: what i i can't blame people either right imagine you're a dad back home you've gone and you worked so hard to make money and pay your kids tuition hopefully build them a better future in canada right and like minimum wage back in Iran right now is only $200 a month. So someone is making money, every single dollar counts, right? And it's a big deal to them. So when somebody offers them a better rate to give them more money here uh, versus if someone's doing it legitimately, they're tempted and a lot of people take it, um, right? Um, and the reason why they get to do that is, you know, there are some people that have set up operations where they are able to... They get cash here at, at the discount and, and launder some of that money, and uh, it's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, um, I, I when I heard about that, um, you know, when we, when I was doing the marketing analysis, uh, definitely, I, I mean, I needed to know how the competition was getting better rates than us, and then I nah. figured out, and I was like, what? And and I mean, do you remember this uh, news article that came out where? Uh, Mexican cartel uh, was was in, in involved with this um, Iranian tra- money transfer uh, company in Toronto or something and so oh, Toronto. yes yeah so they so this these, they, the RCMP basically caught like six Iranians and one Mexican guy doing like a business and and it looks bad right but then look look at it like this news came out. And then maybe a a month later, I joined your business. So it's two Iranians and one Mexican. So, (laughs) Yeah, it's not a good
1: look. Um, To be honest with you, there is generally, and I can tell you this from my personal experience, having been a co-founder of Lumen, there's a lot of stigma involved around being a business owner in this industry, you know? you know, we were two Iranian people trying to help the Iranian community here through international money transfer. And a lot of times people from within the community and also from outsiders, they would look at you like you're actually doing something wrong and illegal. And, you know, for me personally, I I knew that I came into this for the right reasons and I wanted to give it all I had for it to work before before i stopped and at a certain point i felt like i had given it that all i had and um i did transition out of it but um the stigma around running that kind of business in this kind of community is massive and it's not a good look for you and you know at some morning sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're like you know what i'm here i've got my like this Amazing background, I've accomplished this much and I've done this and that. And this is all the cool things I could do with my future. But every morning I'm waking up and I'm putting myself in this position where people are making all these assumptions against about me and are making these judgments about me, even though we're trying to do such and such and such things in, in the right ways. And sometimes you're able to overcome the forces of evil and do something that changes and improves someone's life. And every single time you pick up the phone and there's a customer that's telling you, Oh my God, you have changed my life. You know, I'm staying in Kelowna at UBC and I would have had to come down to Vancouver, spend the night, get my money exchange and take the bus back. That would have wasted two days of my life. Now I get to do it 20 minutes through your platform. Amazing. Um, and that's really what keeps you going in that front. Um, it's a, it's a very, very difficult environment to navigate. make sure that first you unknowingly don't step into something dirty because that's always a risk the second thing is to do extreme like high level of due diligence to make sure that um you know you're not being judged uh by a lot of these uh outsiders as uh yeah as a yeah, as, as a rebel of some sort, um, yeah. But so that that was the difficulty of being in that in that position for my So
0: when I was doing my marketing research, because um, I don't, I think you were still in the business when I was doing this. But I I remember Maddie getting a little bit angry with me because I was bringing some of the bad comments uh, up sometimes. And, and the reason why I brought them up, I always thought, man, like these bad comments are, are going to be our doom if we don't address them, uh, because bad news is spread faster than good news. So mm-hmm. it is just 10 times as hard to get rid of a comment of, of a bad comment uh, than to get rid of a good comment. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So then I was like, OK, let me listen. And then I listened a lot and Obviously I got a lot of really good replies like, oh, I really like Lumen, Lumen is great. I, and, but I, that reinforced me that we were doing something good. But at the same time, I wanted to know what was bad so that we can clean it. It's, it is similar to how we realized that our customer interface was not good. And obviously we could see that, but it was, it was useful to do customer analysis, right? And that's when Taha and the people from the CI uh, uh, community helped you. With with that, right? So so when I heard people saying, "Look, if banks don't do it, how come these guys are doing it? They must have been doing something bad." And I'm like, "No, we're not doing anything bad." And then it, it became so annoying to the point that one one person uh, from my from my network, you know, someone that's kind of close to me, came and said, "Oh, you gotta be careful." Uh, these guys may not be in a good, in in a good, in a good path. And then I said, like, why do you say that? And then this person said, well, I've heard it from someone that's close to me that uh, these guys are laundering money. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So who is this person? And then, and then the person said, look, uh, I'm not going to say who is this, but uh, I can tell you that this person Knows them both. And I said, well, I know them both too. And they're not doing any money laundering or anything. So uh, as soon as that happened, this is when we earned our, uh, our award from Venture Connections. And then I, I was like, I posted it everywhere. And I was like sending it, sending it to everyone and say, look, we got recognition from Coast Capital and from, and from SFU. So like, it, it, we're legit, right? And I tried to va- validate, validate our, our credibility with that. But at the same time, it is so sad that uh, these people, these people have this, this feeling. Like because I think it, it comes from within. When they see that they cannot do it, they don't expect anybody that that seems to be in the same level as them to do it. Because sure. and go ahead. Yeah, honestly, you and I are at the same level as these people. I mean, we're from the SFU. We eat, sleep, and and do mo- most of the things the same as they do. We, you know, they. We are too real for them to believe that this is real. Uh, like Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg. These guys, uh, these guys are in the U.S. and they are too far away for them to seem real. I mean, if you meet Mark Zuckerberg, you you may feel like you met an angel or something that is not real because he's too rich and his story is too crazy. But if you be, if you look at his story, it's basically the same story that you and Maddie had. Uh, people that were living in, in the dorms at some point, talk, uh, they played soccer, they're friends in university, they take classes, they're smart people, they, they know how to solve problems, they come together and offer a solution to a big problem, man. And now I feel that this insecurity of the community is just really crippling itself. Mm-hmm, definitely.
1: And, and that's really the point when I realized I can't do something about it. Like sometimes you go out there and you give it all you have and you prepare something amazing, but if the community is not ready to receive it, then there's nothing you can do about that, right? And that happens in a lot of industries too. Uh, The world is like full of examples like this where the receiving end, that target audience was not ready to receive that solution for it. You know, it's um, as far as Lumen, the company went, uh, from the day one, our intention was that we are either going to be able to solve this problem and do it right, or we're not going to do it at all. And we got our license from the government of Canada. We got the endorsement of Simon Fraser University. We got a uh, chief uh, compliance officer to come actually review everything. Um, you know, we, everything was online and, and upfront and uh, we were winning awards. We were winning a lot of government grants. The member of parliament representative of the city of Surrey came and visited our offices and we got a bunch of awards from them and funding. It's, uh, you know, as far as, and that's, that's what really gives me hope about this country, Miguel. This country, like in Canadian government and a lot of the resources in it empowered us to make this solution for our community. But it was our community itself that refused it and was not ready to receive it. Some of it came through works of defamation like this. Some of it came from ugly competition from some of this local stores here that, that are, um, that are operating in certain ways. And, um, and you know what, for me going into this, I didn't make much money doing this. Like I could have had a job and I could have been much better off and had much less stress and kept my hair. Right. Right and not gone through all of the stress and long hours and you know nights that you can't sleep and using everything you've got to pull this together but when you know you present that to the people and they're not evolved in their way of understanding in that sense to receive it I don't know maybe we didn't do our job of Marketing right and most times that gives me more peace to think about it that way, but uh, you know honestly it was it was a bit disappointing to me. Uh, that see that it you know there, there were rumors like this around us. Um, I don't know where they came from. Um, I'm, I'm upset that they existed uh but you're right for as long as you know there are words like this spreading around in the community um you you're gonna struggle uh you're gonna struggle to scale the way that that you should have yeah and, um yeah it's it's just too sad and that's 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 the day that it yeah i just decided to step down as well
0: right but I'm, I'm gonna i mean i'm gonna try to give you a little bit of peace. Uh, mm. So recently I have uh, been taking a, pro- a product management or project management uh, course. And, and one thing I learned in that course is, you know, we are always afraid of r- releasing a product too late, right? But there is such a thing as releasing a product too early. Mm. And I think Lumenwire was originally released very early um, and, and it made it seem like it was about time to do it because a lot of people are struggling with that. But I think the, the main point is uh, for Lumen Wire to try to keep persisting. Uh, I trust the leadership uh, thats that's leading Lumen Wire. And I mean that that ship has sailed, and I think eventually will catch it will catch on. It will mm-hmm. catch on. It's like you know, Christopher Columbus, he jumped in a, in a ship thinking he was going to India and mm-hmm. he fucked it up, but he he I mean he did, not technically, he didn't technically discover America, it was already discovered, but he he stumbled up in America and then he found what he thought it was India, right? And a lot of resources and stuff that he later stole. But my, the point is, um, one, you, you always expect something from a trip, mm-hmm. you always get something unexpected. Um, thinking about the trip that you had with your friends from Iran, uh, well, not from Iran. Sorry, your friends from UWC to Iran.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they didn't expect to to be crying at the end of the trip, mm-hmm. but I mean, it was such an emotional roller coaster that they did. And I think something very similar is is going to happen with uh, yeah with Looming Wire. It's going through really bump through a really bumpy ride, and mm-hmm. it's and it doesn't have fixed costs so you have you have that to, to you guys's advantage
2: <laughs> yeah
1: the company it still keeps running uh you know there's there's methi who is in charge now he's he's a very persistent guy he doesn't give up easily and uh, the way we've set up the company is that it can it can keep going on forever like this and then the few people that well, if the few hundred people that continue to use the platform can at least have a slightly better quality of life. And, um, that's, that's already something that's valuable to me personally. I've, you know, my journey with the company has contributed so much to my personal growth, uh, and my professional growth. Like it's, it's an invaluable experience and, uh, and you're right. You know, there's, um, there's a couple of people that are doing good work in Lumen right now. I know about some of their future plans and the direction that they plan to go. It seems very exciting. Um, they are aut- like aiming for a fully automated system. And that's just the first time that's heard of here, uh, even at a global scale. Um, and that's something that give, will give the company a big edge. Um, and yeah, it, it will work with these, with these kind of companies, you know, it, it, trust is never built over time. And just, you mentioned, as we, we had identified the central, uh, concern was around trust. We, we're just going to have to let things take, take their course. Um, yeah, unfortunately I can't be part of that journey anymore, but I just continue to be close to the, to the leaders of the company right now. And maybe we chat over coffee and beer every, every few months, but, uh, I, I feel like I already took away a lot from that experience
0: that already makes it worth, worthwhile for me. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I I for me uh, Lumen has a special place in my heart too. I mean, I, I spent um how many four, 5 or 6 months or something like that working with mm-hmm. you guys and um. And I also realized that for me to really help you guys, I needed to understand the culture. And it was a difficult culture to understand just because I didn't speak the language and, and I didn't really understand uh, f- uh, people from that background because I don't really have a lot of friends from that background to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have you as a friend and I have Mehdi and Reza, but it's, it's just not as many people uh, as in other cultures and never really been immersed and didn't really know exactly what was the, the pain points that, need, that needed to be resolved. So I I think Medi probably has figured out uh, some some things um, in this in this couple of months that I haven't been there. But um, so now you you realize that that there was, that LumenWire may not have been benefited with your presence anymore. And and then you that's a really difficult thing to do by the way because people don't like quitting right? And people don't like, I don't know, it, it is really easy for people to stay in a place where clearly the journey has ended. Um, and they and that happens in relations, that happens, you know, like emotional relationships that happens in startups, especially I have seen startups and, and, and like relationships being very similar because, because you start uh, a business like you know, you start business with a co-founder, so that's kind of your husband or your wife now, right? So there is a little a little bit of a commitment there. So when when you as a co-founder decide, look, there's nothing more I can do, and, and I am actually hindering the growth of this startup, and like finding a replacement for me will be better. Uh, it is almost like I want to divorce and I wanna do something else with another guy in a relationship, it's the equivalent. So I try to see it in that e- equivalency. And, and the, the thing is, then you realize how similar it is because the people, the people around you that supported that startup is like facing your family after a divorce, you know? It's like, what the hell are you doing? You're divorcing? What? Like, <laughs> who, are, who do you think you are, right? And, mm-hmm. and then there is a lot of really awkward conversations that come after that. And my, what, what I'm trying to convey here is for the people that are listening to us, probably they're thinking about getting a startup. So if they decide that this startup is no longer something that they want to do, uh, what do, what should they consider before they even uh, get out of the startup or like even decide to get out of the startup? So like, how would you go about it? <sighs> Yeah, you,
1: as you mentioned, it's a, it's a very emotionally challenging decision to make. And it takes, it took a lot of courage out of me to finally decide that, okay, I, I, I need to step down and, um, you go in and start up, you know, it's going to be difficult. If you don't know, you're going to fail right away. And you know, you're just going to quit in the first month, but, If you've you've been running a startup for for so many, for one or two years at least, you know it's difficult. So it's not really the challenge of it that's going to stop you there, right? What becomes a question of when is the time to stop is two things. One is, does this company still have a chance of success? If yes, what does that look like? And the second thing is, what's your role in it? what's the role that you want to play in that, like, because that's going to be your life, that's going to consume your life, right, and, you know, for me, going into this startup, you know, my thinking never was to go and run the company myself, right, and I think, Anyways, you know, there's a more general thinking that that we need to understand with our life in general, right? So with our whatever limited resource that we have, whether it's our time, whether it's our money, you want to diversify your spending in that. You want to diversify your spending in that because that's the investment that you're making, Right. So there's a certain amount of time that you say, I'm going to spend on this. There's a certain amount of money you say, I'm going to spend on that. There's this way that I'm going to invest this and that. So always for, and and for any investment to be successful, you need to diversify because that's the way you can manage your risk and you can grow, right? So going into this, um, you know, obviously it, it came from a place of social responsibility, but in the long run, you know, I was a co-founder in a startup. And um, the moment that you start making decisions from a place of emotions around your investment is the day that you're going to lose. Um, so you need to be able to stay very rational, cut emotional ties with you know, your project and be able to make reasonable, sensible decisions. For me, you know, eventually what so initially going into the startup, I had decided that I will be dedicating the next two years of my life on working on this project. And I had done calculations around how am I, how am I going to be able to pay my rent? How am I going to be able to eat? How, what am I going to have to do on the side of it? And how did it all come together? And there was a two year plan to run and bring the company to a place of either self-sufficiency or a place where you could hand it on to a different group to run it. And that's exactly the timeline I ended up sticking with, um, you know, and, and at the end of my two year run, um, I knew that I need to transition out of it because my overarching mandate and goal had always and all along been medical school. Um, you know, since I was a kid, I was inspired to become a doctor by the passing away of my grandfather in front of me, by the passing away of my cousins that I grew up with, and by my aunts and realizing how big of a difference a little bit of proper medical care would have made in their lives and could have enabled them to be by our side these days um so that mission and mandate had always been the overarching direction of my life for various reasons at the time where I was when I started Lumenware I knew that I had a two-year window where I could not pursue that direction and goal for for immigration related reasons so I decided, so I, I, I had to make a decision on what I'm going to do with my life for those two years. And I decided to dedicate it to a cause that may benefit the community at large here and, and do something good. And, you know, I, I, that's exactly what I did. I dedicated those two years to that. And we had a really good run. And and to be honest with you, we were more successful than we initially anticipated. And, uh, you know, it's still to this day, you know, I, I never imagined that there will be a day where, you know, I can, well, I, I thought the chance of that success was really low, where there could be a day where I could step down from my position with the company and it'll still continue on, right? And um, that's in and of itself is a big thing to celebrate. And um, so overall, it was a very difficult decision to make, but it was one that made sense. It was one that was planned and it was one that... I knew I was going to raise a lot of eyebrows. I knew it, I would have to have very difficult conversations with the people who had invested their time in this company, who, with the people who had invested their money in this campaign, with the people who had endorsed us and supported us in the community or in the industry, um, with all these institutions that we were working with and getting their support. It was difficult, 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 right? And in a lot of their eyes, that's, what failure would have represented but at the end of the day i realized that i i can't live my life for what is going to look through the eyes of other people right i need to be true to myself and my goal and my mandate and i know that i've given everything that i had to this company wholeheartedly and so very gladly i'm in a place where i have a co-founder and he's mature enough and uh, persistent enough to want to continue to move forward and it just seemed like a natural place for me to transition out of it and fall back in track in my journey with medicine and uh, i've you know there have been many nights that i haven't been able to sleep after that there have been many nights where i wondered what's happening with the company there have been many many uh, conflicts and. you know, arguments and struggles with the investors and with, uh, with, with, with co-founders and things like that. But life isn't always pretty and isn't always perfect. Sometimes things are messy and, and you need to be strong enough and be courageous enough to make that difficult choice and move forward. I can't hear you,
0: Miguel. My, my bad, sorry. So just to make things clear, uh, practically you you have a you have already get, gotten married once so you already have experience about marriage like. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, that's right and uh, that's why next time I'm gonna think about it I'm gonna be a lot more thoughtful and think about it a lot more thoroughly because you know the realities of it and yeah. Yeah, hopefully my girlfriend wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> History of mine anymore.
0: Yeah. So so when you're filling your your immigration papers, do you put now a formerly married, like divorced?
1: <laughs> I would love to, but uh, I'm afraid that that's not how they see it. Uh, that's how it works. It, you know what, Miguel, that analogy is, pitch perfect like when you get when you're getting into a startup your co-founder is your spouse and your startup is your baby yeah. you know even after you leave you you have to go visit them you have to pay your child support every now and then yeah. <laughs> or as long as you want to maintain your relationship with the kid and uh you know, even though you're not part of their life directly anymore, you still want to see them succeed, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, if somebody came and told me, you know what, and that's very much the case at this point, you're not going to get any credit for the success of Lumen, but if they could succeed now, do you want that to happen? Hell yes, right? Like,
0: But you will uh, get credit for the success of Lumen Wire. There is no reason why you wouldn't.
1: And, you know, that might or might not happen, right? And in my personal experience, I've always learned to try my hardest and expect the least. That's, I think that's the way you can manage your expectations. That's the way you can avoid disappointment. And uh, if anything good happens, you can truly appreciate it. for for Well,
0: I'll give you credit for the success of Lumen, for sure. (laughs)
1: Thank you.
2: I appreciate it. it.
0: Uh, For for as much as it is worth, um, I'll give you credit. Uh, to begin with you're the one that got me in there so
1: yeah no no thank you I mean your presence in the company also brought a lot of fresh energy new ways of thinking a lot of the branding direction for the company a lot of it being more focused I'm bringing a lot of these underlying concerns from the community forward and just making it a reality for the company and, and and making us understand at the time that they need to be tackled head on. Uh, I, I appreciate that kind of brevity in you. And I also, uh, you know, I, I was really impressed by your sense of conviction and determination to know what you wanted and to know and go and exactly get it. Cause initially, I mean, you were the one who reached out to me early on and, and I applaud, people who take control of their career and, and they know where they want to go and they take, and they, they take that direction and move forward. And uh, that kind of initiative is going to serve you really well. Um, and you whatever you do, I've seen that you put your heart into it. You put your mind into it. And then, and, uh, and that's a, that's a great recipe for success because so yeah, that's. I'm
0: going to tell, uh, tell you a little bit how my motivation to get into Lumenwire started. Go ahead. So it was really interesting, actually. Like it was, I was in, in Germany at the time and I saw you guys, uh, I saw Jenny post something on Instagram.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I was like, hmm, what are they working on? And, and then I, I looked to your Instagram and I was like, what, what is this? And then I, I, I was like, oh, this looks fun. <laughs> and, <laughs> then, and then I, I, didn't, I didn't know exactly how the uh, Iranian community was. Struggling. And then uh, there was this guy from China in my company. I told him about it and he's like, Oh, yeah, that, that must be a really good thing to, to do, right? Because it is a hard thing to do. And I know that because in China, we're also struggling a little bit with uh, transferring money. And then I'm like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And then I uh, that same day, I stumbled upon a video from Amazon. And then uh, Jeff Bezos is telling about telling people about how e-commerce businesses are so hard to build because there's this all this trust issue. And then he's like, look, I am uh, uncovered in scar tissue and I have made so many mistakes. And there there are these mistakes that obviously made me uh, just the expert that that I am right now. And then I'm thinking, wow, like that seems really you know like some sort of coincidence but then it started to make me feel like i wanted to try it out and for and for the longest time i uh, i have been really trying to get into b2c commerce i was like i really want to want to understand it and i want to see what's the difference between b2b and b2c uh firsthand. because obviously not the textbook difference but i want right. to see the first hand difference like the experience and see whether i really want b2c or b2b and and then um And then I decided to call you and I remember uh, you were a bit skeptical at the beginning because you were like, well, this is Miguel. And I mean, I was the captain of the soccer team, uh, but (laughs) El Capitano, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. So I was the captain, but obviously there was not much credibility on my side either. Right. So like, um, and this is, this is, this is something I knew because um, I was like, okay, for me to get these guys to allow me to, be to do a threesome with their baby right oh <laughs> it's a weird analogy it. but image. okay <laughs> this, is, this is where the analogy goes bad so let's change it to okay. join their football team
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah better better okay better
0: yeah so for me for for these guys to allow me to join their team uh i will need to um uh, I, I will need to allow them to to look at, at me first as a professional and to believe that I actually have something to, to offer. And, and I remember that for, I, I was like calling you and like, I was quite persistent. I was telling you, look, this is what we could do. I think this is how we can diversify. And honestly, I think we had a pretty good plan, but then COVID came and really disrupted that because me as the president of ALAS, I, I really understood how we could approach these clubs and, and get them to Get them to to sponsor us, right? I was like, this is gonna be easy, man. But then COVID hit, and then it completely caught that that part of the of the marketing channel, the promotion cha- channel, right? Because yes, we can do blogs, and that's how we were trying to get people, right, to, to build credibility, get a blog that resolve your problem, and then we we swiftly direct you to our uh, to our platform so that you can you know do it. And, and I feel that you were saying that earlier, we really we really should have been more present in, in these events, like cultural events, but COVID hit and still present and still a barrier that we we cannot cross. And I think until we cannot cross that barrier, we're not gonna be able to jump uh, this chasm, or I mean, Lumen Wire is not gonna be able to jump this chasm because uh because it really requires people to see who is running the company who is behind it and to be honest it really it will require a charismatic person to do this mm-hmm. and i think you were that charismatic person uh in that in the company and that's why i thought that at the beginning you you could have done this and i also thought that i could have been this uh, kind of charismatic character that could approach these clubs and try to improve the, the relations between the clubs and the, and the company and eventually, hopefully, uh, other universities as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, hopefully, the, I mean, right now I'm looking for jobs and, and I'm trying to, to figure out what my, my future will look like. Uh, I think we already talked about it. Man, you, your, your your advice of not compromising, that's a hard one because everybody wants you to compromise, man.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Miguel, people that end up being successful in their careers, they rate high in their disagreeableness. Like agreeable agreeableness, disagreeableness is a personal trait. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm actually a very highly agreeable person, right? But it you can sometimes be intentional about these things in your place of work and and try to behave like the opposite flip side of it. Mm-hmm to, to further your success. And uh, it it can be very difficult. It can be very difficult because sometimes you feel like right now the world is on fire and you're running out of leapway and you're not going to be able to land something in time. So let me get this. Let me do that. And I've done that before and I have hated myself for it. You know, I, I would, I was miserable. Like I would wake up every morning. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like this job. I feel like I'm, I'm a sellout or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully you won't last, I mean, uh, land there. And um, I know you care about these things, but don't compromise. <laughs> like that, that's still the core message.
0: Yeah. That's
1: still the core message.
0: So let me tell you a little bit about how this has played with me. Well, like um, they, they, Man, like I have recently got um, a semi offer for a very bad salary, like mm-hmm. it's bad, man. And and then it, some part of me is like, look, you can take it and move on, right? You mm-hmm. can you can take it and and grow within the company. But the the thing that within me tells me, man, if you agree to this, it's like a curse because this curse is going to follow you within the company because they know that you're that you're a cheap you're a cheap person like mm. they your talent doesn't is not worth much because you already accepted this bad salary and i'm not talking a semi bad salary i'm talking a bad bad salary and mm. then i'm like i'm not i'm not completely convinced and if i did take this job then i would not consider that place my career or like my my the place where I will grow in my career because then I felt that the beginning was bad, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm always the kind of guy that's, that, that likes to to enjoy the ride rather than the outcome. So and I try to balance that out. But at the same time, uh, your voice, your voice keeps coming to my head and be like, Don't compromise, don't compromise. Mm-hmm. And and there is this opportunity that's popping up, um, is coming up kind of like ahead. And I can kind of see it in the horizon, and it's also a startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is more a, B2, it's a B2B, and it is in Germany. And, and then I'm like, hmm. And, the, and it requires a compromise, but it's paid, obviously. And it's paid, and it and will basically... I, I talked to, to the founder, and then I asked him, like, look, if you, can, if you can cover basically the basics... Um, rent, food, and some money to save, and, and stuff like that. Then uh, I think I'm I'm interested because I I always believe in that. I believe in that industry. I think it is a very interesting uh, industry, and it can and it is a very international industry. I think, and it can always lead to you uh, moving b- between companies and and getting to really interesting roles. And uh, in tech the tech sector in the B two B area, I think, is where. Uh, a lot of the development for these technologies that we end up seeing in the B2C market end up uh, end up originating. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure that out. But again, I really haven't put too much effort recently in applying for jobs. So not sure what my real worth is, uh, right? Uh, so uh, so far I have gotten these these offers, but. Yeah haven't I I haven't seen really the 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 light I feel there's nothing that I'm like oh yes I'm gonna go for that and luckily you will this semester I'm graduating this semester so in two weeks actually okay and you still have the part time job right yeah yeah but oh, the part time job reliable
1: is not reliable
0: no. It's not reliable because it only it can only give me part time and and very barely part time so like ten to fifteen hours at most. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And um, how long have you been? How many
0: jobs have you applied to? So I have applied to since the last time we met, probably about twenty, and got two offers. You need to pump up those numbers, Miguel. Those are rookie numbers, man
1: those are Um, rookie numbers yeah yeah, you should apply i think it seems like you've got a few things lined up that's great i mean if there's a way for you to put those on hold in the meantime and continue to apply for jobs that'd be great Uh, i mean I, i i i think you should apply to about 100 150 jobs before you find the right one to settle for it look if you've applied to 20 jobs and you already got two offers imagine if you apply to that 150 you're going to get 15 job offers and then out of those 15 what are the odds that you know one of them is actually one that you're like super passionate about right yeah yeah um and i I mean, I know it seems like I'm saying this from a place of privilege because I've gone through that I've landed something and I know that it's difficult. Believe me, I've been in your shoes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The hardest thing about getting, about job hunting and finding a job is to continue to believe in yourself and your worth and your skills. And if you can't do that right now, I should tell you that I believe in your worth and your skills and your energy in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So you should always keep that in mind when you're moving forward, because any company that you come across, some of them might realize that some of them might not. And yes. even if they do realize it, sometimes they, they might try to get a good deal on you and things like that. And you don't want to let that happen either. Right. Again, I don't know the exact details of your finances, but if you can stick it out until you hit that 150 magic number in in the number of applications, I would do that. Or at least as close as possible, you can get to it, right? You should try to figure out how much runway do you have, right? Mm -hmm. And then within that period, try to hit as many applications as possible, get the results back, compile, negotiate. And uh, it can be tough it can be very tough sometimes because you feel like day in day out everyone people are judging you you know they're looking at your resume saying no and then they're looking at your resume interviewing you saying no and that's the majority of the results are going to be no Mm -hmm. but all you need is the one person to believe in you and take a chance on you and see your worth right Mm -hmm. and that's what's going to make your career the first solid step in your career
0: you know what i have realized and I never really thought it would come and will come and bite me in the ass, but um, my my international experience apparently is is bad in here.
2: <laughs> what the fuck
0: is wrong with, with with international experience? And look, I, I I see the argument. Well, these companies don't conduct uh, business in Germany, but hey, I didn't conduct business in Germany. I conduct bis- I conducted business all over the world. What's wrong? Like
1: it's uh, it's really strange. And especially Canada is this way. As a matter of fact, uh, they like all things local. Like even like when I was looking for jobs, a lot like a lot of the jobs that I applied for didn't totally overlooked my work experience in the U.S. and totally overlooked my startup work experience. What? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. It's it, those experiences that you've had feed a lot into your soft skills.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, a lot of people don't really acknowledge that some companies don't acknowledge that. And especially, you know, it's, it could be a function of our time too, right? Like we're in the middle of COVID where, then, where there's a surplus of work workforce and there's a lot of people that are looking for very few jobs available, mm-hmm. right? um so it could be because of that but you know what at the end of the day the way that i used to i used to kind of calm myself down would be to say okay i want a job i want a life for example in vancouver for me that was an important element
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and i would say there are so many people out there that have entered the job market with absolutely no work experience Because we know, you and I know, a lot of people go through all of their university education and don't even go for that international co-op, right? Or don't even go for that startup experience, right? And they still come out and they get a job and they continue to live their lives, right? So the system is designed such, and then the unemployment rate is a specific rate. You know, for example, unemployment rate is 4%. Right. So, you know, as long as you're not in the bottom 4% of people least qualified in this whole city, you're going to get a job. Right. And you know that you're interested in a specific field and you know that there are people that have less experience than you. So when you do the math, you see that sooner or later, you're going to get a job here. Right. That's really what that number, that kind of thinking gave me was to sort of just be able to push, push, push. Right
0: and clearly I mean you're you have I'm pretty sure you're in the top 10 percent of the qualified people in Vancouver especially coming out from university you must be in the top five percent because I mean you have like a graduate degree and a master's degree and also a bachelor's and and you were doing pretty well in all of this and so I was really impressed when you were told me you were struggling a little bit to find a job and I was like holy moly then I'm gonna struggle man (laughs) like (laughs) I'm gonna i'm gonna have a hard time
1: <laughs> but you know what Miguel? it's like the fact that something is difficult should never stop anybody right yeah. right and it i know that it doesn't stop you in there yeah. right difficult yeah. things are out there and and you know that i think that the day that you, we set foot out of our homes and said we want to go into an entirely new country where we don't know the culture we don't know the language we don't know the a workforce we don't have any connections there, and we're gonna go live there and we're gonna make it. That's the day we signed up for difficult, yeah. right? And it's gonna continue to be difficult,
0: yeah. It doesn't get any easier, because right? You get a job, then it gets hard, it just yeah. gets hard. So,
1: you know what, you just gotta push through it, and it's difficult. And uh, you know, you're you're uh, you're you're highly qualified as well, so. I would just say, stick with it, man. You were the president of a club. You had practically how many people working under you? You you were running a governance structure. You had events, man. For all I can tell, you were running a business with that club. You were hosting events. You were getting venues. You were selling tickets. You had profits in your events. Come on, man. Any anybody with half a brain in a corporation should be interested in you, right? Sure. And your marketing background. These are real, real tangible results you can present to people. And I mean, we live in the same city. Going out to work, we go work in the economy in different offices. I, I've seen people way less qualified than you that are doing jobs yeah. here, right? So it we just we just gotta stick it out and push through it like that's the difficult thing about job searching at this
0: point yeah and definitely this is something that I mean I try to tell this to, to my listeners uh, you know uh, never give up and try to I mean the, the harder the, the the journey I think most the, the better the feeling once you achieve what your what your goals are and sure. and like I like I appreciate difficult I appreciate hard work um, I, whenever I have a too easy, I mean, I, I told you about this earlier, like, um, I have a few courses that are not inter- entirely difficult and I don't like them, man. Exactly. And I'm like, am I, am I wasting my time here? Here, Like what is happening in, in the class? Like what's up, man?
1: <laughs> and you want, you want, exactly. You want difficult, you want challenges in your life. They do a lot of good things to you. They, they, they make you grow right? They make you have a feeling of achievement and fulfillment and success, right? That you can celebrate something at the end of the day, right? And, you know, and as long as you, you stick it out, you fail, great, <laughs> learn something, get back up, take the next step, right? Uh, you don't want to live a life without challenges, believe me, because it just gives you a feeling of being empty, not having a purpose, not having a mandate and just settling for anything. It's not a meaningful life, right? And so it this is all part of a journey of living a good life, really.
0: Recently, um, I was in, uh, well, like maybe a month ago, I, I went to visit Angel. You remember Angel, right? Right. So uh, we were watching uh, a video of Drake and Justin Bieber. I don't know if you watched, they had a, li- a recent collaboration with DJ Khaled. Oh, basically it shows Justin Bieber's life right in his huge mansion and he has a huge uh like frame of himself and and there are like a hundred women in the floor all all super drunk and like he's just like walking and he has a bodyguard and he throws his phone away and like the phone falls and like you know he doesn't give a shit about life basically because he has it all and there are like a hundred people Dancing in his home, obviously, that's all I set out. But then he has a huge home. I mean, a hundred people can fit in there dancing, no problem. And there is five supercars in the ba- in the backyard. And then and then I see Angel looking at it, and like it is like if you have a, a squirrel and you put like a hundred knots in front of it, and he's like he's like excited about it. And then I see it, but then when I see that life, when I when I was watching the video, I had the opposite expression. I was a bit terrified because. Mm-hmm. Because then i I'm thinking, imagine everything I do goes well, and I am actually a three hundred million dollar uh, person. Then I have all of that. man, it will be so fucking empty. like there is no more challenge because everybody wants to be your friend because you're you're worth a lot of money. every you have every car you can possibly want. you uh, you. Eh, Everybody is trying to kiss your ass and and, and there's no real relationships anymore because not everybody's afraid to be real with you. Like, for Mm -hmm. example, when with my ex-girlfriend, one of the things that I appreciated about her is that she was able to be real with me. Like she will will call me out on my bullshit. And that's one thing that I appreciate hanging out and talking to you because when I, I'm a, I, I sometimes bullshit people a lot and it's more about like joking people. Like, you know, I try to say stupid stuff. And then sometimes it's too stupid, man. And then sometimes you're like, nah. (laughs) Like, that's
2: too stupid.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay. And you know
1: what? It's funny you should say that because Justin Bieber himself, actually, I think, just released a new track. And it's solo and he's singing. I think it's only a two-minute song. And he's singing exactly about how his life is empty. He says, imagine if you had it all, but there was no one that would listen to you or no? but there was nobody to call, right? Then you would know what it's like to be me. And he's talking about how he's got everything, but there's at the end of the day, he's left alone with no real connection and nothing in his life to keep him happy. And I think, you know, especially in, in the West in, in this capitalist societies and, and economy that we live, everything is driven by consumption And a lot of times people mistake pleasure and ownership for happiness, whereas happiness is such a different concept, right? For you to be happy, it's a consistent and mellow feeling, whereas pleasure is spikes of pleasure and then you crash, spike and then crash. Mm -hmm. And you know what, like when it comes to actually living a good life where you're happy with it. Um, it doesn't come by having a lot of money. It doesn't come by experiencing all the pleasures in the world. It comes by from a place of stability, from a sense of control over your life, from having genuine human connections. And that's why you should never trade those friendships or, or, or your relationship with your family for, for anything materialistic, right? Mm. And This is not the kind of message that we are exposed to because it's not what makes money. What makes money is the message of consumption and wearing fancy this, driving fancy that, living
0: in this fancy, right? Consume Uh, my book and I'm gonna tell you how you can be better and don't listen to your family. That's the thing that every every guru is trying to tell you. For sure,
1: but happiness, it comes from within, right? Um, And you mentioned with Justin Bieber and all of that, and for as long as your career goes as well, what happiness represents in a career is not making a shitload of money.
2: Mm-hmm. What
1: happiness represents in a career is waking up every morning and being happy and excited to go to work,
2: mm-hmm. thinking
1: that you make a difference every day. You know, these days I'm working with coronavirus patients, Miguel, and I'm uh, I, I'm the person who calls them and gives them the news that they have tested positive. So. In it's in its basic sense it's a very depressing thing to do mm-hmm. but the moment that you're on the phone with someone you see their stress you see somebody breaks in tears you see somebody is worried and by taking them through that emotional journey showing them the light beyond that and what they can do to be better and improve is what gives me a sense of accomplishment right mm-hmm. and it's a difficult time our, our society is going through. Uh, and it's a difficult thing to do for me too, because sometimes I come home and I'm still thinking about that one single mother that was in that difficult situation, right? And, and that's what I mean when I say your life isn't supposed to be easy. It's, it's supposed to be something you believe in and something you enjoy. But every morning when I wake up, I don't have the slightest hesitation that I want to go there and do that, right? Even though if it might not be giving me, I don't know, the best buck or whatever. Um, but it's, it's, it's the thing to do for me that keeps me happy in my sense of career, right? And, and I encourage everybody to do
0: the same thing. Yeah. So recently, um, for some reason, this is very strange. I have been watching videos of um, of lions and bears and pumas and all of these predators. Um, you know, like living and their life. I mean, their life is really grim because if they don't kill, they get they die,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: And and then I see, and then I became more interested in the lives of the of the prey. I was like, oh well, let's look at. I mean, the prey is by is, is not by any means weak right usually they are re- very strong and they can kill the predator too uh mm-hmm. the predator is not smart enough so so then i i then i was interested in how humans were coexisting with nature before we were uh socialized or we were in these big cities because we forget man i mean we're we we have this weird um feeling of niceness we really feel that everybody everything should be like a disney movie right we have this kind of imagination unfortunately but then you realize that humans extinguished i don't know how many species when we were not even that many people in the world man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's true actually there is evident history and like this is science right we have the exact numbers that anytime our specific species of humans as homo sapiens has arrived to a new territory there has been many species that have gone extinct even many other humanoid species have gone yeah. like, like homo erectus, and then the that was a european uh species of humans uh
2: neanderthals, neanderthals.
1: Right? yeah homo neanderthalis, and they they go they went extinct as soon as homo sapiens went to Europe and then the homo erectus went extinct the moment homo sapiens went to east asia and including a lot of other species as well and that's um it's it's just how nature works where there is a new force a new species it's find its place in the hierarchy and the food chain and then at some point you know other things adjust and some gets pushed out and uh it's just how nature works and I, I'm a kind of person who doesn't like to associate meanings of good and bad and these kind of connotations to, for example, extinction of a species because universe is a sustainable, it's a self-sustaining recycling place, right? And, you know, the concept of death and non-existence seems bad to us, but it's, but it is, or con, core sense. I There's no reason why it's a bad thing, right? Like, I, I don't know what, how to, connotated to a sense of badness. And that's fine. And actually recently I was reading a book called Sapiens um, and it's an amazing book I encourage people to read but it talks about origin of humans and humans, how they came to be all the way to this modern day. And actually by the numbers that they were presenting and the kind of background they were talking about it showed that the quality of life actually in a hunter gatherer human was higher than what we're living in our modern day today. Okay. Um, you,
0: what are the metrics that they use to measure that?
1: So for example, the number of hours worked per week for a hunter gatherer. <laughs> yeah, it would have been uh, only about uh, 20 hours per week. 20 hours.
2: And,
1: uh, yeah, only 20 hours per week. They had a much more diverse diet that meant that they were getting all these different vitam- vitamins and nutrients. They were a lot more active. That means that they had much better physical health. The sense of connection and friendship was really strong within their own tribes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that was really good. And uh, yeah, that's about it. They didn't, there's no evidence to show that they were suffering from the cold or that they're, that they, they had particular problems for not having a car or anything like that. Cause they well, didn't. They just died. have it.
0: They died much earlier as well. Right. They, they, uh, they died at a younger age.
1: Um, so not necessarily actually, that when they did a direct comparison between when people were hunter-gatherers versus when people actually came up with agriculture, life expectancy went down from when they were hunter-gatherers to when they switched to agriculture. Because and they, then, from that time of agriculture that it came back up again.
0: So do you think the reason why that happened is because maybe they were pooping and, eat, and eating very near to the same place? Uh, I would
1: yeah. think uh, the sewage system was a problem, but there were other problems around, like, for example, epidemiological issues, right? Because of a highly dense and concentrated population in a specific area, mm. uh, that means that they were more prone to, for example, a virus going in and wiping out the whole population, right? Yeah. Or specific uh, incidents around, like, fire and things like that. Um, or they could be targeted more easily by predators of any kind if they existed there and there existed more conflict between them. And also their diet became a lot more limited it wasn't as diverse anymore they just ended up having grains all the time and they knew that their bodies needed more of that when they became farmers they were doing things physically that their body hadn't evolved to do right for example farming is you have to be bent down and you need to pull this and you need to push that so physiologically they started developing a lot of problems like back problems and joint problems that, that weren't an issue as for, for hunter-gatherers because. For seventy thousand years, you know, they had evolved to live a life of a hunter-gatherer.
0: They had to also pick uh, berries and and some sort of fruit from trees, right? So, was that like a different set of motions from them picking fruits or vegetables from the agriculture system?
2: Yeah,
1: the, yeah, uh, definitely. So the difference was that when they were taking berries, these were berries that were growing wild in, in nature. So they were walking around, picking this and picking that and then going and eating, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas for you to be a farmer, you need to clear out the soil, right? You need to plant all these seeds. Mm-hmm. And then you need a lot of, um, you know, time to, to go and make sure they're getting all the water and the nutrients they need you need to take fertilizers and put it in there Uh, you need to make sure there are not no pests and other animals coming and eating this while while you're growing that you know to make sure nobody sets it on fire and so all of those things that doesn't exist in the natural way of growing a a specific plant just sprouting by itself and and giving out the fruit that people went and, and picked right and so those were that's the difference and also You know, as uh, as hunter gatherers, you know they were extremely efficient, and actually, uh, humans were extremely efficient in hunting big animals and possibly having food for days. Especially the groups of humans that lived in the northern parts of the uh, planet, they with the snow and everything, they were able to just kill a mammoth, for example, and, and have food for days for their whole tribe, right? And that's not something that they could do with uh with agriculture necessarily at the time
0: right there was there is this guy who who was talking about how he lived in Alaska basically on his own and he will kill a moose or something (laughs) he'll kill a moose and live the entire winter Mm -hmm. He'll, he'll live eight months on that moose so basically once there was no no more flies around So that Mm -hmm. was the time that he decided to go out hunting hunting elk or a moose. Mm -hmm. But basically one elk will bring him four months. Two elk will bring him eight months. And then a moose will bring him an entire weekend or something. Sorry, why, why do I keep saying weekend? Winter.
2: <laughs> <An> entire
0: <laughs> winter. Will bring him to survive an entire winter. And he was completely, completely carnivorous, right? And mm-hmm. then that also kind of puts into question a lot about how is this guy man- managing to keep healthy on an, a purely carnivorous de- diet? Because mm-hmm. he, he says he eats, oh, wait, wait, wait. He gets his plant nutrients from the stomach of... Of the, of the moose like he he basically opens up the moose and then and then there's like yeah there is like processed food there and then he starts eating it and then apparently the guy is fine like he says i like it
1: <laughs> yeah well that you know there are a lot of things that we've we've come to <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've come to attach uh societal meanings to like for example this like eating food out of the stomach of a moose right
2: yeah
1: or or like i don't know like for example human urine yeah like, human urine <laughs> People don't like to interact with it, right? Because it's an unpleasant way of like going to the bathroom and doing things like that. But it's 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 totally sanitized kind of liquid, right? There's a very specific ingredients of like water, urea, and this and that. You know, there are no bacteria. Like as far as cleanliness goes, like it depends on how you define the meaning of the word clean, right? Uh, but it, it's fine and the people have been doing these kind of things for as long as nature has existed and uh, yeah for as for as long as we were in our natural way of living meaning that the kind of structure we are we were physiologically evolved to live in mm-hmm. um, we we didn't care about these things probably a lot of primitive well hunter-gatherers actually humans. And I don't like the expression primitive either because it, it implies that they were not advanced enough or they were not smart enough. But really when you look at the population of like Homo sapiens that left Africa and came and you know they made boats and went to Australia and like for the first time ever, right? Or to navigate and go up through Siberia and go to North America for the first time. Like these were not easy passages. And to hunt a mammoth, for example, or any other giant animal that history shows us they have been killing them and hunting them. It takes like extreme coordination, dexterity to make those tools and then use those tools smartly and uh, work as a team. And these guys were living a full life. Like there is nothing, there's no evidence showing that these guys, you know, had major issues I, they definitely wouldn't have suffered from a pandemic like covid I, I can tell you that right yeah maybe because they were so sparsely population yeah. that was so sparsely spread that one community would have gotten it and be done 99 yeah. yeah. percent of the rest of the world would have been fine right for sure yeah
0: well it wasn't as globalized as, as it is right now so that's, that's right fair. yeah but like for example uh we can see the exchange of disease between the new world and the old world uh, syphilis i think went back to europe and and then the europeans brought um what was that what they brought to the americas um they brought what was that i forgot A smallpox right smallpox
1: honestly I, i'm not educated in this space yeah so. i
0: think i think they brought like chickenpox or smallpox or something like that and, mm-hmm. and then they, they killed 99 of the population and then the europeans began uh you know struggling with syphilis because they were very promiscuous so then there was a there was a big problem with that so the reason why i, I began wait let me go back to to the reason why i began watching these animals killing each other <laughs> it sounds a little bit creepy but it's not because i enjoy i actually struggled a lot at the beginning i was like wow well, i don't really like to watch this but there was a there was an important meaning that i that i wanted to get out of it and it was that no matter how hard my life is is it isn't harder than their lives mm-hmm. because you see that they are actually i mean these cops sometimes like the moms need to fight a big male like a big bear like bears uh, you often need the cops right so so the mom sometimes needs to sacrifice her life to, to protect their cops mm-hmm. and then you and then you realize that yeah that happens with some humans but it is very unlikely that it happens to humans
1: yeah and there used to be a time we used to live among them you know what I mean like there used to be a time where humans just lived right by side of these leopards and lions and this and the bears and sometimes they were a threat to us sometimes we were a threat to them a lot of times we had to kill just like them to survive and fend off the the intruders and it's it's just how nature has always been um and within the few generations and I say few in the scale of comparison to the grand history of the earth as a planet we have we seem to have forgotten what the natural way of life on this planet is Mm. and uh, you know there used to be a time where house like this didn't exist you know everyone's out in the nature everyone's out in the jungle everyone's doing their own thing and um, I think yeah i i totally agree I just looking back at these things puts a lot of human nature in perspective
2: mm-hmm.
1: puts a lot of the sources of our own unhappiness into perspective mm-hmm. and it just gives you a better understanding of what this human species is yep. and it also makes you understand how minuscule a lot of this stupid wars are, for example, between our nations. We
0: don't really need this to be happy. We don't really really need an Apple Watch to be happy. Absolutely. We we may need Pink Salt to be happy, to be fair. (laughs) Anything
1: (laughs) relating to food I want to keep to be happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I still like my Parmesan cheese.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like my pasta. I like all of that.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's why, um, you know, I, I like to urge your audience as well to, to look into living a more, uh, a less, a less fancy life, a less lavish life, and share their fortune with the people that are less, less advantaged than they are. Um, you know, the money that we make in one day of work here means a full month of income for a family in Iran, for example, mm-hmm. right, someone who's making minimum wage, and the situation is even more dire in, in in a lot of countries in Africa, a lot of less developed countries in other parts of the world, yeah. and so let's not lose perspective of how fortunate we are, how advantaged we are, and let's not lose sight of our responsibility towards other people who have just not been fortunate enough to be born into a, a lot of the similar situations like we are or haven't had enough perspective or to find their ways out of their poverty. And uh, let's let's have a lot of compassion and let's give, right? Um, I yeah. think we should all look
2: into that.
0: Yeah, I I really uh, thank you for giving that message. I hope everybody, I mean, I think this is a message that everybody needs to l- somehow learn on their own because I, I heard it many times before, you know, money is not everything. But everybody says, well, you surely will help me be happier because all the problems I have literally are caused because of lack of money and that's a that's a good response I mean most people are struggling because the lack of money but then you also see rich people struggling uh there was an interview with uh Conor McGregor where they asked him uh what was his his goal for the new year or something and he said inner peace or something like that and then I was like well, that guy is kind of like a rich person, right? And at that point, you're like, yeah, well, this guy realized that he's still not in peace with himself, right? Uh, even though he has recognition, fame, fortune, uh, of, 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 he has a good family. I mean, he, he's married and it looks like he's happy with his wife. So I think everybody's uh, uh, trying to trying to do that but you know there is a very clear path that society seems to to give us like well you have to go to school get your degree because that's the first thing that you need that you want to get re- to be recognized in society then get married right get a get a job uh, they can interchange but get a job or get married depends but get a job get married and and, and grow within the company or grow within your career and and that's kind of like what the meaning of happiness is, and it seems like what my dad is trying me to do. Um, like he so I, he's not he's not pushing me, but he seems to believe that that's the real way of doing it.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: the more I do it, the I real I realize that I need to do those things, but I don't know exactly if those are the things that will either keep me alive or just make me, or make me happy. Because I feel those are things that I may need to do to be alive or to function in society, but not entire, I'm not entirely sure whether those things will make me happy. So I think there's another aspect that we're overlooking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, and in my personal life, I think my biggest contributor to my happiness is having um, genuine friendships and, and social relations with, with good people um and so i've made a commitment to you know investing more time in that and you know getting more of that going and for somebody else for you it might be different for somebody else it might be a different thing but it's it's very important very important to uh be aware of of what you're missing because that's already half the solution just knowing what the problem is mm-hmm. you know that may not allow you to be as happy as as you should be at now that's mm-hmm. already
0: half the solution um thank you very much for talking about your experience and everything you've done. Um, I really appreciate it. And I think, um, the listeners will definitely gain a lot of value from this conversation. I hope, uh, I hope all of them can, uh, can learn something from this and man, like we definitely need to meet up to go for dinner or something. Once this uh, second wave goes away,
2: uh,
0: it will be the best to actually, you know, share, share a plate of food at some point. Um, We can cook some steak. Don't worry, you don't need to cook the steak.
2: (laughs) I'll cook it.
0: (laughs) I think
1: it's in the best interest of everyone that if we need to cook, you do the cooking. (laughs) 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 It's not gonna go well. But uh, no, one time we should have you over, and we should, uh, I should, I mean, I think I can, I think I can fry eggs. (laughs) <laughs> that's, something, that's something i can definitely offer but otherwise we can go out and eat much better food where there are more talented people yeah more experienced people working,
0: in a, working in a kitchen i realized i'm not as a talented cook as i thought i was there are people that are much 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 better for sure it's and all so. relative you beat me for
2: sure
1: yeah um, uh, thanks so much miguel for having me on your podcast today it was um Great chatting with you as usual. It was good self-reflection for me. And uh, I hope it's been uh, it's been interesting content for your audience as well.
0: For sure, man. And I appreciate it a lot. Hope you have a really nice day at work tomorrow and a bright upcoming week. Uh, there are a lot of COVID cases coming on. So I guess you're going to have a lot of work.
1: Yes, we'll definitely be How very- many
0: people do you call every day?
1: Uh, I call somewhere between... Personally, I call somewhere between fifteen to twenty people today.
0: to just give a news. You have COVID. No, you know, that's part of it. We start by that, and then oh we. I, have, you, I, have you developed uh, this script like "Welcome to the co- the world of COVID"? Or something
1: <laughs> like that? No, a lot of times you you gotta really gauge with the person and see what they're about and what's their reaction to the news. And then afterwards, you want to work with them towards uh, creating a self-isolation plan, making sure they're educated about what to do, what not to do, how to monitor their symptoms, uh, when to call 911, when to call who. Uh, you know, get the sense of their vulnerability. And a lot of the work that I do is just assessing their their household, their how resource, how how many resources they have, and help them just build it plan of care for them that best works for them Mm -hmm. and then passing them on to my colleagues that that do other aspects of the contact tracing with them but uh it's it's very much of a unique conversation every single time because you'll call someone and they the first thing they do is cry you'll call the next person the first thing they do is you see they're ashamed and embarrassed because maybe they went and did something they weren't supposed to do and now 10 other people might have it because of them you call the next person, maybe they don't care and you can, yeah. So it's a, it's a unique conversation each
0: time. Very interesting. Well, I hope you do well. And there's a lot uh, of good news coming our way in terms of COVID. Uh, thank you very much, man. Uh, please listen to the podcast uh, and the previous podcast, everybody who's listening and thank you everybody for staying this long. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you very much, Payman.
2: Bye-bye.